Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Lent to all of you this Tuesday, March the 15th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Matthew chapter 22. We were just greatly blessed by the parable of the wedding feast. It has some confusion, but also points us to the hope that we have in Christ. To not offend the master, but to follow his ways and to see him as the one who cares for us. And Jesus continues from that parable to teach. The religious leaders are getting out all the big guns, asking the big questions, trying to trip him up. And he asked about they ask him about taxes, which I think is a good question we still talk about today. What about the resurrection? Still something that we should talk about today. And then he gets to the greatest commandment and then he turns the table on them and starts asking them questions. What about this Christ? He asks. And it's something for all of us to reflect upon. We have a lot of ground to cover today, but today is great because Jesus has many drop mic moments. So let's dig in, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome Pastor Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Pastor O'Donnell, happy Lent and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor Finneran. And you got the name of the city right. Well done. Darn right. <laughs> so tell me this, uh, for our listeners, this is a town, Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, just west of Milwaukee. And the only reason I would be able to do that is because I used to live 20 minutes south of you um, back in the day. So what do people usually say when they see the Well, when I was on uh, Kip Allen's program formerly, he would add a syllable uh, and a wrong vowel. Um, it was Okanamakawak or, you know, whatever. So it's, yeah. <laughs> so it's often good theater. You know, it's, it's like, uh, if you want some good theater, you come to Wisconsin and you plug in your GPS and have, and have the GPS lady tell you what the Wisconsin cities sound like. It's not Waukesha oh. to the, to Garmin, it's Waukesha, um, it's yes. Okanamakawak, you know, so, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'd forgotten you served down the road from us, so I knew you wouldn't ruin it, but, uh, well done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have other ones like McQuanago is just south of there, Fond du Lac, um, uh, what's a Manitowoc. I mean, it is just a, man, my four years in Wisconsin was uh, pronunciation on steroids. Absolutely. So, so pastor. Tell us about yourself. This is our first time together. Like you said, you've been on KFUO before, but this is our first time together. So tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the Saints of St. Paul. So, yeah, my name is Lance O'Donnell. By the way, do I do I call you Pastor Finneran on air, or are you Brady? Uh, well, you, you know, it, it, it goes either way. But since Tom Brady came out of retirement, Brady is just fine. How about that? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and, and I'm a yeah. and I'm a Michigan man, so uh, there you go. We're in good that, shape. That, then. We're in good that shape. Work, that works for me. <laughs> so yeah. So my name is my name is Lance Armstrong O'Donnell. The Armstrong comes from I was born shortly after the moon landing in '69, nice. so I'm 52 years old. Um, <laughs> and uh, I served so professional career wise. Uh, I served my first five years out of college in the state government in Michigan, running political campaigns and then doing legislation. Um, 
then I, uh, I had met my wife there while we were working in the government and then dragged her off to Fort Wayne to go to seminary with me hmm. and, and, uh, did my vicarage in Aspen, Colorado, came back and stayed for additional graduate work towards a PhD in missiology, uh, which is yet uncompleted. Um, hmm. and then, and then went to the parish and I served almost seven years in a wonderful little town called Van Wert, Ohio. So not far from Fort Wayne. And then I served three years in the city of Chicago on the north side. And uh, then in 2012, I took the call here to St. Paul's in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. So I'm in my 10th year in Wisconsin. That's crazy to think about. Crazy to think about because we met when you were still serving in Chicago at a doxology event. So it's hard for me to envision all this. It's been 10 years since then. But tell us about your family. You said you're you're married um, to your beloved wife, but I think you have more than just you and your wife. Absolutely. So Carrie and I have four living children. Um, My oldest daughter, Siobhan, got married last year. She lives in Sheboygan Mm -hmm. uh, with her husband, Blaine. Um, Then I have Aiden, who is a senior at Concordia, Wisconsin, and he's uh, Mm. entertaining designations to be a Lutheran school teacher right now Mm. and doing his student teaching. And then I have a daughter, uh, Phelan, who is about to graduate from Lake Country Lutheran High School in uh, nearby in Heartland. And um, she is going to go to uh, vocal music school somewhere. Uh, she just got accepted last week at one of the top music schools in the country, and we're still kind of stunned by it. Um, and then I have a little guy uh, who's an eighth grader right now. He's going to be a freshman at uh, Lake Country Luther next year. Wonderful. This is great. So tell us a little bit, just a little bit about St. Paul Lutheran Church and School. Well, St. Paul's is... Um, and now approaching 160 years old as a congregation, we are founded at the around in 1865. Um, we have a, a in this gorgeous uh, location. We are literally right downtown in Oconomowoc on the lake. So our parish has mm-hmm. 600 feet of lakefront, and and right open to the downtown. We just called a new associate pastor uh, this last year, who I think you know, named Jason Shockman. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> and and uh, you had I think you had Pastor Shockman on early on in your trip through Matthew, if I remember. Absolutely. Right. Yep. He he's on a few times. He's been on. Absolutely. Yeah. He is a, a, a brilliant, I think, catechist and full of energy and is very active, mm-hmm. um, helping us gonna get out into the community here. Uh, just a super gift of a gift of God. So we have this we have this wonderful parish with a great school. Our, our principal. Uh, Jill George was named uh, the South Wisconsin District Principal of the Year this year. And so we're in the process of celebrating that in a, about 130 kids in our K-8 through school in an early childhood mm-hmm. center. And um, it's just been a – I'm a Michigan man. So, you know, Brady, I went to, you know, I went to school with a bunch of Wisconsin guys. I went to seminary. You know, and you can't yeah, shake right. a stick without hitting a Lutheran in Wisconsin, right? And, yeah, right, right. And, and they all told me how wonderful Wisconsin was, and I said, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and <laughs> and then I got a call here, and I love it. Um, wow. So it's been a it's been a godsend. 
Well, thanks be to God for that. And reminder to our listeners to continue to pray for our uh, churches and schools, especially our principals. I mean, they have an unending task of day-by-day work, and they do it all because of the love of the Lord, which definitely connects with our text today. So, Pastor, as we are here to be in the Word of God, uh, can you begin our time in prayer? I'd like to, and if you don't mind, I'd like to, uh, am I closing with prayer as well? Uh, no, no, you're you're just beginning. How about that? Okay, so I want to use the opening stanza. Well, if I'm just going to be beginning, then I'm going to use the whole thing. Um, Do it. This, this is, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. And mm. sometimes it's great to just pray the text of a hymn. So I highly recommend to your listeners, if you don't own a hymnal, buy one. Um, and if only because you're going to use the hymn text as prayer. So let's use this as our opening prayer. Amen. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he had done. Lord Jesus Christ, your power make known, for you are Lord of lords alone. Defend your holy church that we may sing your praise eternally. O comforter of priceless worth, send peace and unity on earth. Support us in our final strife and lead us out of death to life. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, as we look at Matthew chapter 22, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or give us a call on this live program, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Pastor, today I'm going to mix it up a little bit because we have quite a bit of ground to cover. So I'm just going to start this way. Do you? How do you want to start us off? We have four different sections that we have. Um, and we'll yep. go through the whole text. But just any themes or background, how you want to start us off on the right foot? Well, I loved what you introduced. You said there are many drop-the-mic moments. Yes. And there are here <laughs> several <laughs> drop-the-mic moments. Uh, the render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. Um, the you are wrong and you're hypocrites <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, the, so there's a, a confrontation of the Sadducees about the resurrection. There is a confrontation with the Pharisees, uh, about <laughs> the true nature of, of the faith there and, and of mm-hmm. the, and of the Christian life and, and, and a confrontation of the Pharisees and, and of all of us about who actually he is, uh, right. near oh, the yeah. tail end of our reading here. So let's let's dig in. We'll go we'll go by the headlines, you know. In the uh, English Standard, excuse me, the Lutheran uh, Study Bible, it begins with paying taxes to Caesar, with which instantly brings up some emotion as we live in our world. And you said you worked in government, so you have some good perspective on this. Probably is fifteen through twenty-two. As Jesus, I mean, just think about this: the great parable of the wedding feast, and right away. The Pharisees come and try to test him again. They are just getting ornery in this whole process. Well, 15 through 22, uh, we remind our listeners will be reading from the English Standard Version. The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then. What do you think? 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know what, Pastor, I'm going to stop right there. What are the Pharisees doing here? This is quite interesting rhetoric they're doing. They are. They're trying to, well, they're trying to entangle Jesus, as the, as the text tells us. Because mm-hmm. for our listeners, remember the, the, what we would call the Holy Land or Israel is, is under an occupying army that they regard as illegitimate. So, you know, if they can get to Jesus to say, well, you have to pay the taxes to Caesar, then, you know, then we can, then we can brand him as an enemy of the state. Um, so, yeah, they're trying to, they're trying to trap him. And they're doing everything they can, even to the point where you don't even care about people's opinions. You're not even swayed oh. by appearances. I mean, I, it's, it's a weird, <laughs> they're not buttering up like, oh, you're great. They start that way, kind of like, hey, you're great, you know, all this. And then they, you don't care about anything, almost trying to put an identity upon him, which I found interesting. Any other thoughts yeah, on those just, verses? It, it's, well, it's such a load of garbage because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's you, you know, if you read the scriptures and you know the bigger context, they are, they're lying. They don't believe that he's this, maybe with a couple of exceptions. So they're saying it. I mean, it, it is, and Jesus will later call it, it's malicious. They are after him. And so, yeah, they're, they're liars. Oh, you're, you know, we know that you are from God. When in fact, behind closed doors, they think he's not, or they, and they want to kill him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do everything they can to try to find a reason not to believe it. We talked previously with Pastor Chris Asher uh, that that he spoke extensively about it's. They're asking questions like they believe it, but they really don't want to believe it, and they don't want anyone else to believe it. I mean, believe in a sense of not confession of okay, this is what I believe, but you know what, he's doing everything right, but I don't want to believe it. Is really what they're doing here that they are having a hard time not believing it. So here well, they're I'm, doing this. Go ahead and keep going. No, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm sympathetic because as a guy who grew up outside the church, um, Jesus, if Jesus is who he says he is, absolutely everything changes. And right. so he is. And this is, I think, for our listeners, which you have to remember when you have as you study this and if, assuming you're right, you're a Christian and you're thinking about talking to friends or relatives or neighbors who dis- you have to expect uh, opposition because if Jesus is who he says he is, I mean, literally everything changes and that's a threat. I mean, think how you react to threats that are really benign in nature, let alone ones about the very nature of being in the universe that we're talking about here. So I think, you know, you could have some degree of sympathy for the Pharisees, everything that they know and have been taught is under threat and in and in we are in holy week which is why i love this and jesus where he has been often subtle is absolutely not subtle in holy week he is going at it because he loves them yeah 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 that he uh that he he laments that they are not believing so he is bringing out all the big guns in a good way to bring them to repentance and to the truth because like you said it does change everything so let's let's hear what he has to say as he brings out the big guns verses 18 through 22 but jesus verse, verse 18, aware, verse precisely 18, yep. why do you put me to the test you hypocrites, hypocrites. <laughs> 
So he brings it all out. Now, I, I'm, I'm planning to read the rest of the text. What do you think? Oh, Are forgive me. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. 19. Show me the coin for the tax. You hypocrites. We'll just say that again for fun. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they were marveled and they left him and went away. All right. Like you said, he called them hypocrites. And then he continues. Uh, un- un- unpack this for us. Well, so they're trying to trap him because behind the scenes, they really regard the Romans as illegitimate. But uh, what what Jesus is saying here is what he'll also say as recorded in, looking at John's gospel at the end of this week when he's on trial before Pilate is Pilate's there by God's will. And, you know, Pilate, remember, confronts Jesus in, uh, and says, you know, don't you know that I have the authority to put you to death? And Jesus says, don't you know that you would have no such authority unless it had been given to you from above? Um, so, you know, in the larger context of what goes on in Holy Week here, there is a legitimate, uh, you know, we, we do have to pay taxes to Caesar. The gov- you know, God has allowed this to happen. On the other hand, right, so pay your taxes to Caesar. But then there's something that is owed to God, and that is worship. <laughs> um, mm. And and so there are right, there are there are the two tables of the law as we call them before us here. Uh, the first three commandments, which relate to our relationship with God, and all the rest of them, which relate to our neighbor, principally, in this case, number four, uh, with relation to the civic authorities. So, Pastor, a number of years ago. Uh, a professor um, came to one of our conferences and was going to talk about the relationship of church and state. And he said, it really is simple. All you have to do is follow Jesus's words. Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Amen. End of conference. And we all kind of, you know, laughed and, and jeered and everything. But it does come down to that. So what's the problem? Why does there seem to be such an issue when we read these words even today? Well, because the things get mixed up, you know, because we want to render sometimes sometimes Caesar wants things rendered to him. The government wants things rendered to it that don't belong to it. And I think we saw a lot of that in the last couple of years. And sometimes, as it were, it's the other way around. You know, I, I, <laughs> so your friend, you know, your friend, our friend, my colleague here, Pastor Jason Shockman. Uh, when he t- was telling me the other day when the pandemic began and he got a notification from the county authority where he served on the west side of the state, which told him how he could serve communion. Um, he printed it, posted it on the church door, wrote a red circle and a line through it and wrote underneath it, not their business. Hmm. How the, what the sacrament is and how it's administered belongs to the church, not to the government. So what encouragement do you have? Because like you said, this can get real muddy real quickly. Is What's your encouragement as we hear these words today for the faithful Christian who, who loves their neighbor, loves that they live in the country they live, and this goes across the world, at the same time knows that we are to be faithful to God above all? What would your encouragement be? 
be faithful to God above all. <laughs> and I don't mean I and I don't I don't mean I don't mean to be trite. I mean this is for me one of the big lessons of the last couple of years directly related to this is we we heard tons of love your neighbor. And but what happened I think in a lot of cases is commandments 4 and 5 in particular uh the the honor your father and your mother and thus the governing authorities and the you shall not murder and thus, you know, protect your neighbor. That was made more important than you shall have no other gods and you shall not misuse the name of the Lord and remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So, you know, it, what happened for a lot of us is commandments four and five ended up trumping one, two, and three. And that's the opposite of, you know, as we'll talk about later, and this and this comes mm. up in the, in the Great Commandment in section number three here for us today, it comes up again, um, and and that's worth talking. That's worth talking about. There, we we mm, good point. The commandments have an order themselves, and so this is. I mean, I think it is really as simple as that professor said. Of course, they had hired him for three days to speak, so he he kept going, obviously. But it is something that's very important. I encourage our listeners to talk to your pastor about situations that arise with this. We have Acts 25 that are, you know, we must obey God above above man or humankind. At the same time, Romans 13 talks about submitting to your authorities. Our confessions are very clear that we follow what God has to say. And if the government tells us to do something that's counter God, then we must follow God above man. And that's something very important for us to patiently, and as Pastor O'Donnell said, very faithfully to follow what does God, God's will in this process. And I love how you're going back to the Ten Commandments, because it is important for us to always keep that in our back pocket as we interpret and live out our lives. But So they go from taxes... And then the Sadducees show up. So let's read those verses right now, verses 23, and I'll go through 28. The same day, Sadducees came to him who said, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no children, left his wife and his brother. So to the second and the third, down to the seventh, after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. So we have the Sadducees arrive. To this point, we have the Pharisees, and the Pharisees come back a little bit later. Um, tell us about what's unique about this, the Sadducees and their scenario. Whether it's true or not true, they definitely are trying to do something for Jesus. Unpack that for us. Well, they're also, of course, trying to trap Jesus, and they're very threatened by him. Now, the Sadducees are the, as it were, the theological liberals of the day, and this is a fascinating party. episode. So they don't believe in the resurrection or angels uh, and they they have their own very truncated uh, acceptance of the scriptures. So they accept Moses. And of which, of course, so Jesus meets them where they're at uh, when he when he answers them um, by, you know, by appealing uh, to the book that they accept. But nevertheless, he he confronts their uh, he confronts their belief. And it seems, and it's interesting to me, I was just reading this uh, the other day, is it seems like they say, see, here's the problems with having a resurrection. Like, you want this resurrection? 
here's a scenario. Like, okay, here it is. So you, have, you have this, this, this. And so they have this like this this emotional story that everyone's like, oh my gosh, I don't believe in the resurrection. Because what happens if this happens to my family? All of a sudden, you know, what happens to the resurrection? So much confusion. It can't possibly be true. Which I see that a lot in our world today that we take a truth and then you say, but, 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 but what about this scenario here that's very emotional? All of a sudden, people are like, oh, that must not be true anymore. Any thoughts on that? I thought that was fascinating. We, we do, as a, we do, people do generally go where we often go to if we're troubled by something, the most absurd scenario possible, which is basically so let me pose something really absurd. Um, and, and let's make, you know, we, we like to make the exception, the rule. Even so, uh, Jesus, the Jesus makes clear that these guys are wrong because they appeal to the law that required if a brother died, you know, his, his other brother was to help perpetuate his family line. And there was one and then the other and then the other and then the other, right? And so who's, you know, whose wife is she? Well, you know, you guys, and I love it. this is a great, as you said, Jesus dropped the mic moment. I mean, remember, these are the religious leaders of Israel. And here's this mm-hmm. Galilean peasant. And he says, you are wrong because <laughs> you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. I mean, it is, uh, you know, again, for, for me, Pastor Fitterin is a, is a guy who left the church in college in, in part because I had, I think what I accepted initially was a, really a caricature of Jesus. But this Jesus that we encounter in Holy Week is speaking the truth in love, and he is not a wimp. Um, mm. <laughs> this is, I just love it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> to the real, you are wrong. You don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. In the resurrection, they don't marry or marry, right? The, there is no marriage in heaven. The only marriage in heaven is the is the true eternal marriage between Christ and his church, between God and his people, as the scriptures have always said. Um, so, it, yeah, anyway, but the resurrection, so and on to the resurrection. So I didn't mean to go, I didn't mean to go off here. No, I just, no, I love keep Jesus. going. I, I love, for those of us who want our Jesus, meek and mild, um, in sipping lattes on the corner. Uh, this is not that. Um, he, uh, and and it, it's precisely because, you know, this is Holy Week. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And sometimes when it's all about to hit the fan, you've got to hit the nail on the head and you've got to hit it hard. And that's what he does with these guys again and again and again, because God does not die, desire that anyone should perish, but that rather that he repent and live. And so he says, you're hypocrites. You don't know the powers of the scripture. And if there's anything that's going to get a guy who knows the scriptures, it's that. Their ears are perked up. And definitely that line, like you said, they were the theological liberals of the day that they would say, oh, yeah, they know the Bible, which the, the problem is not. Do you know, like, OK, there's this many books, you know, these verses, but do you actually believe what it says? And do you if, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't believe in the power of God. And if you don't believe in the power of God, then why would you? I mean, then it's just kind of nice little rules. Like you said, if you want 
nice little cozy Jesus that's not going to say anything mean to you. This Jesus in Holy Week is not your Jesus, especially when we look at the cross and the empty tomb. But right now, Pastor, we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 22 with Pastor Lance O'Donnell, and we will be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. We are studying Matthew chapter 22 with Pastor Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. And Pastor, I want to read these verses because like you said, it is the drop mic moment, the Jesus we are probably not used to because often we tend to think of him as a guy who goes, well, let me tell you a story. And then there's kind of a schmaltzy story. That's kind of what we envision. But like you said, this Jesus knows and he desires these people to know the truth. So 29 through 33, I'll read. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you neither you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, of, of God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He is not a God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So he definitely continues to teach. It wasn't just like, you guys are wrong. Amen. He walks away. He continues to teach. And what does he tell them about the resurrection? He goes and he, he quotes, go, he goes back uh, to the original sources goes back in in this case he meets right these sadducees so they only accept the law of moses right so he goes back to exodus and he quotes right i am the god or, or moses encounter with the lord at the call of moses i'm the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob right this god who is alive and who is calling he is not a god of the dead but of the living right and he is so he he is proclaiming it right in the resurrection in the livingness of Moses and or of, of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, amongst others. And so this brings up just a, a good question. What does he mean by that? That, that, oh, well, actually, let me take a step back. So is Jesus, he's not explicitly teaching this, but he, but he's definitely um, telling us that when, when we, there's a resurrection, marriage is kind of a mute point at that point. Is that kind of what he's saying? Well, the, it's moot, correct? Uh, yeah. The, because the true marriage, and this is part of the broader teaching, and any of these Old Testament believers would get it because this is part of the narrative from the get-go. Frequently in Isaiah and the Psalms, you know, God refers to himself as the great heavenly husband or bridegroom, and his people are the often unfaithful, are the un, often unfaithful bride. 
So he, 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 his is the true marriage. Our marriages are for this life and are only really a, a reflection at best an icon uh, of the true eternal marriage between God and his people. So that, you know, once we get to heaven, this is as it were, <laughs> um, our earthly marriage, our earthly marriages become, oh, how do you want to, how do we want to phrase this? They find, they find their proper eternal order under the eternal marriage of Christ. I think I heard it said, I remember in Bible study one time, we're talking about this kind of uh, reality. You talk about what will heaven be like when Christ returns. You, you look at parts of Revelation, you look at other parts in the scriptures, and and at the end of it, the comment that someone made, and then we got into this discussion about, well, are you married in heaven? So we're looking at this text and other texts, and I remember one blessed, now sainted member of my first congregation in North Prairie she said, you know what, all these things are secondary because I will be with Jesus. And that I think that interprets, interprets Jesus's words in a perfect way. Any thoughts? Agreed. <laughs> I, 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 well, this and, and that it really gets us in many respects, Pastor Finner, into the next section of yeah, yeah. what is what is what is essential? What are what are first things? And that's what, and that's where Jesus takes the Pharisees in this next section. All right. So let's get to that because we've had the Pharisees, we've got the Sadducees. Like I said, they're getting ornery, right? And, and he, they saw the Sadducees go down and now they're coming back, the Pharisees. Verses 34, and we'll read through verse 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, that's a great word, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like, it, it, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these, first two, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So um, how do you say it? it this is almost, it's almost like a joke. You know, they, they gather together and they get a lawyer. Um, and he's the one to ask them a question. So once again, tell us, tell us this story and what is Jesus doing? What is he telling us? Well, you can see in the context for, for our listeners here, you can see desperation. You know, we have this phrase that we use that politics makes strange bedfellows. Okay. And here you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees working together. Yeah, mm -hmm. and they are, again, the Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believe that Isaiah was a prophet and Jeremiah and Micah, right? They, they you know, they, they accept what has been received uh, in the scriptures. They, they, they believe in angels. They have a, uh, they have a, they have a hope of of a messiah although it's more of a political version that in many respects the sadducees don't have but here we see them because they're both so threatened by jesus that these people that really believe in many respects opposite things 
are we're, are working together to try and get him. So and they and as you noted, it does kind of bring a chuckle. All right, we got to get the lawyer in on this. Um, <laughs> all right, let's go get the let's go get the lawyer. And 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 so they so they ask you know what's the greatest commandment? And then and then he 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 blows he he summarizes the whole thing. First things first. Love the Lord in the in the quote in the quotation from it's Deuteronomy right that that, mm-hmm. that Deuteronomy six love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength that is the primary thing right it's the first table uh, as we say of the law commandments one through three that take precedence but the, and the second flows from it and is like it and then then the next I think is a quote from Leviticus you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else hangs on these two things, and it it brings it it brings it together in in, in two senses. And I want to I want to kind of uh, bring some practicality to this because this is important. Um, first of all, they're trying to trip him up, and when he gives this answer, it, it could still bring some. I would think question marks because you're like, well. Well, what, are you are you denying the Ten Commandments? Then are you denying all the Old Testament commandments? How would you how would you respond to someone and say, "Well, I thought the commandments were ten. Now he's saying there's only two. How would you how would you respond? Uh, excellent question, and I'm thrilled that you ask it because it takes us back earlier. Um, I'm, and I'm tempted to say because Matthew's a tax collector. One of the arguments, I think, for the primacy of Matthew and the authority of Matthew is. Um, Matthew Matthew was trained and had to take good notes. It is absurd, mm-hmm. absurd for me to consider that a tax collector trained to take shorthand and take good notes followed Jesus around for three years and didn't write anything down, as many critics <laughs> of the Bible say. It's just dumb. I mean, it's flat out <laughs> stupid. Um, so, but so I am thinking, okay, guys, let's go back and check our notes from the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Where Jesus says, in what I regard as as the passage upon which every pretty much everything else in Matthew is to be understood, Matthew chapter five verse seventeen, um, where Jesus says, "I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets." That is what we would call all of the Old Testament. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Um, in this so both in his faithfulness to God and his utter faithfulness to his neighbor, Jesus fulfills God's will for us in a way that we couldn't. He is truly the our only possible substitute, and therefore he is the perfect final sacrifice. And so we just look at this. These two commands, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind, heart, soul, and mind, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, these, these are good practical thoughts for us every single day. What's your encouragement to our listeners as, as one's redeemed, baptized into Christ, to fulfill this, um, to, to look at this in a helpful way with not being led to despair? Center your life in worship, because if you... Re- it, because on the one hand, this summarizes God's will for us. But the truth is the law always accuses. And so 
you know, you, I don't think any reasonably pious person who is reasonably self-reflective could hear this statement of Jesus and not realize their own fault. Oh, you know, I don't love God with my whole heart and I don't love my neighbor as myself. Well, then go to worship, <laughs> go to the divine service, go meet Jesus, uh, go where Jesus promises to be and receive his forgiveness and, and then, and then be sent back out. So what, you know, if you realized you've fallen short, then, then go where Jesus tells you he's going to be and, and receive the comfort that he has for you. Go, go be with other people like yourself that have fallen short of the glory of God <laughs> and together, you know, uh, with humility, confess your sins and, and with humility, receive his gift of forgiveness and, and then walk along with one another in this, in this journey with Christ. I, I read a, a note on, on this text about Jesus, uh, excuse me, Jesus' words. Luther writes this, but you may say, oh, it is utterly impossible for a person to keep these two commandments. And you just said that wonderfully. It's exactly right. Yes, Luther says, it is impossible for you to keep or perform them. You cannot do it. Like, okay, that's not much better. God must do it in you. For him, it is possible. That reminder of how he doesn't just leave us by, by his Holy Spirit. He leads us in repentance, contrition, faith, and forgiveness. We're able to live this out, and every day may he continue to work in our lives. Because ultimately, he's the one who has done it all um, on the cross. Pastor, anything else on, on these? I mean, this is a very, um, very well-known and uh, passage throughout, I would say, the world, really. Can be can be misinterpreted by Sadducee type of folks and to say, oh well, just love. That's all it is, just love, and then that gets way out of whack. Um, or, or it can be mis this? or it can be misinterpreted in a Pharisaical right. kind of way, as if as if you can actually do this. Um, ah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. I, that's well. You know, I'm like the guy in the in the temple. I'm not like this tax collector over here. I I, I do this well. I mean, I go to church. I go to church every Sunday, um, and and I give a tenth of all. I give a tenth of all that I have, and I work at the food pantry. Um, well, so I don't need to go to church this week. I would argue, right? If <laughs> so, right, right, uh, that's definitely when you need to. This is just how the devil works, you know. It, when you do a good thing, right? Or should we say, when God does a good thing in you, Ephesians 4, right. verse 10, right? For it is God, mm -hmm. right, at work in us. So when a good thing is done in you, we always want to take credit for it. Oh, I've been at church on Sunday. I was been there for, you know, and then we want to take credit for it. And in, even in so doing, our, our goodness ends up tinted with self-righteousness. All the more reason uh, to, go, to go to worship. You know, I think if... You know, as we as we're coming towards a close here in, in up to this section and leading towards the towards the final section. I love, I love, love, love this Jesus that we find here. So much of so much of the world is, you know, we are advertised to and we are catered to, um, but we we know that we have faults. Here we find a God who loves us enough not to tell us what we want to hear, 
but what we need to hear. And he loves the Pharisees enough to tell it to him. He loves the Sadducees enough to tell it to him. He loves the this sinful, adulterous woman in John 4 enough to tell it to her, albeit in a more slow and gentle way. Um, and he loves you who hear this enough. So come to church because he loves you enough to speak the truth to you um, that you may actually repent and have life. Right? He wants, this is what we need to see that Jesus, that the behind behind this confrontation is like, you know, when your kid's doing something really stupid and, you know, and you want to, you want to look them in the eye and say, look, do you know what you're doing to yourself? This is what's going on here. Um, he's confronting him in the, in the most direct way possible to, to shake them um, in, out of their stubbornness and adultery, just like God had always done with his people if necessary. Yeah, we definitely see a reflection of what we see in the Old Testament, but with that full understanding, like you mentioned, Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19, passages that we often might dismiss because we're like, oh, that's Old Testament. We don't want to get into that. But it definitely gives us this filter of the law is not gone. The law is still there, that we can be wrong. And guess what? That this kingdom that we hear about all throughout Matthew of Jesus is, is just as um, I want to say he's going to call you out for sin, but he's doing it as a loving father would do for, the, for their children, and he does it out of love. Not dismissing sin, not overlooking it, but dying for it and shedding his blood for it to show us what true love really is. So, Pastor, so, I, I'm ready to get keep going. Go. Yeah, do the, do the last section. So before you Let's read the it. last section, be, before you read it, see this whole thing that has gone on as witness, mm. as law and gospel, right? This confrontation. And now Jesus is going to bring it back to what's essential. If you and let that, let that be it. the prelude to our final section. Love it. Okay, we got about 10 minutes left in our time, so let's really dig in. Verses 41 until the end of chapter 22. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Then if David calls him Lord, how is he as his son? How is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, for from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Once again, yeah, now the drop mic moment <laughs> at this time. For sure. Yeah. And so Jesus turns the table and he asks them a question. What is what what does this question show us? Well, I think it shows us his love for them. So, I mean, again, he if you look at the context here and the telling of the the, the parable of the wedding banquet is is a, is a in the in the what preceded it is a confrontation. There's been confrontation, confrontation, right? In an attempt for these to for these men to get to see their own unrighteousness. And now now he's going to confront now he's going to confront them because there's this, in the Pharisees' case in particular, 
there's this there's this belief fundamental that they can basically earn God's favor um, that that you can earn God's forgiveness and to that end they have added and added and added to the scriptures in order to try and make that sure where whereas Jesus says that in a, you know this is going to John chapter 5 but you know, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the scriptures, Jesus says, that bear witness about me. Mm. The scriptures are all about me. And this is what he's leading them towards right here. Right. So. So, guys. What do you think about the Christ? So whose son is he? Right. Well, he's the son of David, of course. And this is, you know, this is verse 42, now 43. Well, then, let's think about this. How is it then that David, right, who's writing by the Spirit, and that's, by the way, that's a confrontation of the Sadducees because they wouldn't necessarily accept David. Um, right. Hmm. How, how is it then that David, in the Spirit of the Lord, says, about a thousand years ago, this would be right. This would be about a thousand years before the Lord said to my Lord. So David is recognizing, right, he has said, Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he also his son? Right? He, I mean, he's, he's, and now they're going, oh. But this is what Jesus has been doing all along, to, re to recognize that they have made some false assumptions about a political Messiah, about an earthly Messiah. Um, they, they've missed so many of these promises, like the promise to Abraham, right? Uh, one of your descendants, Abraham, through one of your descendants, all the peoples of the world, Jews and Gentiles, will be blessed. Um, and, and the host of other promises that, you know, we talk about, um, this is, this is Jesus having confronted them and now taking them to a very deep level about a promise that they believe, but they misinterpret. That's about him, to see him for who he really is. And this is for our listeners, I think, if you, if you dare to submit to yourself to the scriptures, if you dare to give the church a chance, if you, to go and listen, you know, to just go once, but go for a few weeks and listen. And let yourself be confronted by Christ. I think you will find him utterly compelling. And I know it's scary, but give it a go. Because you'll find something, you'll find something, I think, for which your heart deeply needs and longs for. In Christ. In Christ. So, Pastor, he quotes Psalm 110, and it, like you talked about the Sadducees, he brings it back to their playing field where they would confess certain things, and they're not wrong. The son, this Christ, this Messiah, would be the son of David. Okay, you got that. Well, how, what do you do with this text right here? And this is a good challenge for all of us, uh, I think, to go back to the Scriptures, because we can assume that I know this, you know, and it, this past Sunday we, we, we preached in Jeremiah 26, 
where Jeremiah literally gets done with this sermon, and the first words they say is, you're going to die. <laughs> we don't like anything death. you have to say whatsoever. Yeah, death is right. yours, basically. You death know? to the I, dissenter. Death to the <laughs> dissenter. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And and it just it, it brings us back to we can think, oh, I know the truth here, and it's good for us. And this is why I love the, the verses we've had today. It brings us back to this understanding of our relationship with the government. It brings us back to understanding of our relationship with others, you know. And then here he brings it right back to the relationship with with the Lord himself because we say one thing and we're close but not quite there. The other shoe needs to drop, and he brings it back to them. And that's a good challenge for us is to always go back to the scriptures. Any any thoughts on that as, as we hear, well, basically all the verses we've had today? Well, I, I would, you know, I would agree, um, Pastor Finneran, that, it, it comes back to the scriptures, which is to say, ultimately, that it brings us back to Christ. We have to contend with the Jesus of the scriptures. And, you know, if if you happen to be listening to this and you're, and you're not sure, then my encouragement to you is uh, open the gospel of Matthew, open the gospel of John. Um, there's where you have the only reliable record, the only truly reliable record of what Jesus did and said. Um, and let that Jesus confront the caricatures of him, which you've heard. And you will find in him some really fantastic statements. Um, and, a, and a question that with which we all ultimately have to contend. Is Jesus who he says he is? Is he raised from the dead? And if so, then I'm not my own. So, Pastor, as we go, we have about two minutes left in our time. It ends with verse 46, exactly how you're, you're leaving us. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. To me, this really spurs us upon Holy Week to the cross because they realize that they can't beat him. And the, the big thing there, you think, okay, no, Jesus is going to take over. You know, he's just going to he's going to come with, you know, just a, a blazing away at, at people. But yet he doesn't do that throughout Holy Week. What does this tell us about how this ends and Jesus? We have about a minute and a half left in our time. Well, it's going to get immensely more intense because now, right, they know they know, right, this is the devil at work because the devil wants to kill Christ like it when he was born. You know, these guys are en- going to end up doing the same thing that Herod wanted to do because they don't want to deal. Uh, and so they're right. As we go forward, they're not going to bother answering him questions. They're just going to find ways to kill him. Pastor, about a minute left. How would you summarize our time, uh, our, the, the passages we have, we have studied today and encourage our listeners? Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is, the eternal son of God. And he is, he, he will be crucified for the sins of the world and rise and rise from the dead. Um, he, he speaks with truth and authority to us and to all who ever heard him and compels us, as it were, um, to either submit and find life, uh, to have faith, um, or to go it on our own. And, and that is the way of destruction, whereas Christ is the way of life. 
Pastor Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church and School in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, giving us God's strong word for Matthew chapter 22. Pastor O'Donnell, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.